It is a pleasure and honor to be here and um, grateful to be able to stand before you and share a word to you from our Lord. You know, um, Pastor Isaac, I've known him for many years now. And in fact, I said, you know, we've been here in church and doing all this stuff. We haven't been together for a while. Why don't we go out and have a round of golf? And I, did y'all know Pastor Isaac can play golf? Did some of your church family? So we went out and we went to go play some golf here in a little break while y'all were doing your thing. And it was a little cold, but we went ahead and did it. And I had brought my clubs and I just let him share my clubs and so we went out, and I went ahead and let him drive, and he drove, and well, he sliced the ball, and it went way over out in the field, and it landed right on top of a fire ant bed. And uh, I said, now listen, if you're going to play golf, you can't cheat, you can't use your foot wedge or anything, you got to hit where it lays. And he says, okay, you know, he says, no problem, I, I got this. And so he got a, another club, and he went, and he took a big old swing at that ball, and he wiped out half of that ant bed. And that ball was still sitting right there on the other half. And I said, okay, you can go ahead and, and take another swing. It's okay. I know you're trying. And I didn't want to embarrass him, you know. So he went ahead and he took another swing and he took the other half of that ant bed. And uh, all of the ants were gone but two. And then I heard one of the ants say to the other, if we're going to get out of this thing alive, we better get on the ball. <laughs> and I guess... <laughs> I guess if there's anything that I want to start off with today is just talking about how we, we need to get on the ball as churches, right? And, and one of the ways that I think that God is doing, doing this is by bringing the churches within the communities together and stop the competition against each other. Can I have an amen, church? And you know, it, it's, it's so strange to me that, now it's not this way always everywhere, but it's so strange to me that churches would compete with one another instead of share what they have learned with one another, their strengths and their resources, so that we can reach all of our city wherever God plants those churches. Somebody say amen. amen. And so I appreciate your vision, Pastor Isaac, and bringing this to Beville. I told him it was so nice to be able to go to a conference that I didn't have to drive all the way to Dallas or Central Texas or somewhere to be able to go to a conference. So I'm making every session because I'm normally spending money on hotel rooms and, and uh, gas and everything else, and it's right here in Beeville. Why would I not come? And to the people that he brought in here, you know. And So I worked real hard last night trying to get my hair to stand up like Jonathan's, but <laughs> I failed to succeed, but I tried. I don't know about you, but he filled my tank up, and I took a lot of notes. And In fact, some of his... Uh, the notes I took on his part of your little guide actually spilled over into my part. So I'm going to just play like they were my ideas because it's on my side now. But I just want to say a special thanks to the church for such hospitality. I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm at home here. And uh, the food, I will be back. Amen. <laughs> and, uh, and by the way, the spiritual food was good too. Praise God. So today, you know, I, I was thinking about all week since Pastor Isaac asked me to come and share a few things and, uh, from back when he originally contacted me. And actually, he had tried this before, and both times, I think, he had asked me. I was in Costa Rica. We have a little church over there in Costa Rica. And, and this year, I was actually supposed to be in Costa Rica, headed to Nicaragua, where we're starting a new church there. And it just so happened that I decided that I wasn't going to go. And then, sure enough, right after I decided not to go, you text and said, hey, would you like to help us out? And I said, sure. And, uh, however, since I've been at the conference, I feel like God's telling me to go to Nicaragua, so I'm going to go. And uh, anyway, but, and I get to do the conference, too. 
But my point is, is that I've been praying because one thing is, is that, you know, I feel like our tanks have already been filled up, you know, and, and uh, not only our tank from the food, but our tank from the spiritual food that we've been getting this weekend. And I feel a little bit unqualified to be standing for you today. So I came to the Lord and I said, God, you know, I come from Pettis and you know us Pettis boys, Lord. And um, but I've known Isaac since he was in kindergarten, literally. And you know that uh, when he was little and he would he he always talked and uh, praise God. And, and it's like he he was born with a mic in his hand. There's no kidding. I'm not joking you. And, and he's he's went to school with my oldest daughter. And uh, and I remember telling my wife when I'd hear him at UIL or whatever in speech and stuff like that. I would tell my wife, I think that guy's going to be a president of the United States one day. And then he went political science, you know, and so praise God. But I think that the calling of God is greater than the calling of political science. She made a good choice because you are uh, you have made an impact in the kingdom of God. And I know that hell is, is definitely disappointed that you chose to go that direction. But as I, I prayed about it and uh, and the topic that God had given me, I, I said, Lord, you know, just give me a word and uh, let it not be my word. Let it be your word. And I, I quit worrying about it's a leadership conference. I quit worrying about everything. And I said, Lord, I'm going to just play like I don't even know what it's about. You just put something in my spirit. And whatever you put in my spirit, I'll speak it. And I'll just have faith and trust that it's going to touch and change somebody's life. And so today I'm going to bring you three things. Actually, it's just three little words I want you to remember. One is go. The other is pray. The other is love. And I want to talk about those three things because to me, I believe that these three things are essential to be an effective leader and to be a kingdom builder in the things of God. Before I speak, I'd like to pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for all the move that I have experienced of your spirit in this place this weekend, God. I thank you for the vision of Kingsway Church and the love and the support they have shown towards their pastor and their love that they show mostly to you, God, and to desire to reach the lost, the unchurched in this city. And I pray for empowerment, God, in all your churches. Specifically, God, I focus on Beville and the other pastors that are here back in your cities as well. And that, God, that you would right now be glorified in this place. That, God, that my name would not be remembered. But, God, that you would be remembered and that you would be known. And that, God, that I would, that I would decrease right now so that, Lord, you would increase. And, Lord, not coming with the wisdom of man today, but by the Spirit of God, we believe the word's going to come forth. Therefore, you get all the glory and praise and honor in Jesus' name. And if you receive that church, will you say amen? amen? I would like for you to turn with me. The text that I have today is in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. And I'm just going to reference a couple of those verses, and I'm not going to labor what I have to share with you. But as I was praying, um, I'm in this theme right now in our church. I, I don't usually plan a series ahead and then start telling our church what we're going to do. I just kind of stumble in it, and after I preach two or three times, I finally realize, oh, this is a series, and so I tell the church, oh, we're in a series, and so we're in a series in our church right now that we're calling Be a Difference Maker, because I believe that's what it's all about, and that's the season that we're in in the life of our church right now. So as I was going through this year and preaching about being a difference maker, one of the things that God has brought to my attention is that if you're going to make an impact as an effective leader, if you're going to reach the world around you, you're first of all and foremost 
going to have to be willing to help the wounded that is in our midst. And in this passage of scripture, the Apostle Paul says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Paul goes on and says many other things about lifestyles and living and and boasting. But then he drops down. I want to go all the way down to verse 9. You can look at this text later. And he says, and let none of us grow weary of doing good for in due season. Everybody say due season. For in due season, listen, we will, not might, not maybe, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And so those words I've been hearing this weekend uh, by some of the others that are speaking here. So I'm going to go off on an angle. You're going to say, what in the world does this have to do with leadership? And I thought you were going to talk to us about how to reach our city and so on and so forth. But if you just stay with me, I think it'll make sense at first. Because we're in a season, and I generally don't try to preach what I don't know. I try to preach the things that I know, and that's what I'm experiencing in my own personal life. And the first thing that I want you to understand that God has taught me, that if you're going to be a difference maker, if you're going to be an effective leader, then you're going to first have to be willing to go. Everybody say go. Now, we know the great commandment. Jesus says, go into all the world, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I like people to participate. So it's the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, right? And don't be worried about all that says, but lo, he said, I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. Amen. So we know that. And we're all willing to go. And when we talk about doing outreach and we talk about reaching the lost and we know, we know it's in our DNA. That's what we're supposed to do. It's what we're told to do. But the thing that we forget sometimes, but God doesn't, but the thing that we forget sometimes is what Paul is bringing to our attention here today. Don't be so busy about going after those until you're willing to heal the ones that God has given us here. And so there are people, you know, I learned things about hurting people over the years is that hurting people run. And that's really the, the devil's tactic because he, he wants them to run away from the church. How many has ever known anybody? And I know I can get every hand to raise up if you've been in church any length of time that's been hurt in some way. And maybe it was their fault. Maybe it wasn't their fault. But whatever. When you get this many people in cultures and, and differences and, and likes and dislikes together, eventually somebody's going to get hurt along the way. Let's just talk about it because we know it's real, right? And, uh, and when they do get hurt, the first thing they do is they run. And, you know, not just people in the church, people in the world, too. They run away from family. They, you know, they get, they get hurt and they run and they're on the run. And that's the devil's tactic. He wants them to run. Everybody say run. He wants them to run because he knows if he can get them on the run, he can get them away from the body of Christ. If he can get them away from the body of Christ, he can have his way with them because then he's going to start telling them about how rotten those people are and they're insensitive and they're uncaring. You don't go back to them and out there they are and the wolves are ready to devour. God wants me to share with you today that he needs somebody in his church to be willing to go after those that run. He wants us to remember that we must, as churches, if we're going to go out and reach the world around us, we must put together a seek and search mission team that is willing to pay the price to listen and not engage, but to hear the person out that's run away from the church 
and see them as important and valuable and help them to find healing and wholeness. That's why Paul said we should restore this person. Who? Those of us that are spiritual, those that are in a right relationship with God, that aren't hurt, that are are walking, and, and, and he says, don't be boasting about it, because it could be you next. We all think, I got it all together. You know, it's there, there, there like that, and I would never do that. Well, you know, I'm going to tell you something. I'll learn different, because even pastors can get their feelers hurt. Amen? Can they have a better amen? Amen? I'll preach it if nobody else will, but the thing is, is that we all get hurt, and we all close down, and, and then the enemy gets involved, and he needs some people to be sensitive to be caring, to be willing to go after those. Because see, here's what we do. And we don't like to admit it, but the truth of the matter is, when somebody runs away from the body of Christ, we go, well, that's their problem. You know, they know how to get back here. They know where we are. <laughs> and it's easy, to, it's easy to get going with the things that we do and just kind of like, oh, well, you know, we get used to them not being here. God never ever, ever wants us to get used to the person that was once here making a difference, changing lives, and develop the attitude that their life is no longer important. They're important to Jesus. Can I have a better amen? amen. Listen to this. Jesus, it's about Jesus here in the story. You've been hearing this all weekend. It's interesting. I told Pastor Isaac, one of the advantages that, uh, and disadvantages of speaking at this time, one is the disadvantage, you're all full and you want to take a nap. It's Saturday. But the other advantage is I heard what everybody else had to say. That way I'm not duplicating what they already said. But listen to this parable in Luke 15, 3 to 7, and I won't labor it, but the scripture says in verse 4 and following, what man of you, Jesus says, having a hundred sheep, have we heard this this weekend already? If he has lost one of them, now watch, sheep, sheep. Now, we generally use this in the context of winning the lost people, right? And it's not used wrongly, but however, sheep are Jesus' people that has believed in him. Can I have an amen, right? So he's talking about his people, right? And Pastor Isaac just, man, he nailed it this morning. And by the way, man, did that message bless y'all as much as it blessed me? Amen. Dude, you can preach still. I mean, y'all used to hear him on the radio. I'm telling you, man, he didn't only listen to the radio. He spoke on the radio at one time. You all know that? And uh, listen, so anyway, I'm off course. So he says that lost one of them does not leave. Uh, who does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one, everybody say the one, that is lost, because see, they lost their way. And anytime somebody's running away from the church because of hurt feelings or whatever the enemy got in the middle of our business about, then that one gets lost out there. And he says, who would do that, not go after that one, that lost one, until, he says, he finds him. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I have found my lost sheep that was lost. And so, see, what should be happening in the house of God when one of our brothers or sisters leaves for whatever reason, um, and I have a whole lot more to say on that about, you know, what churches should do when a lost sheep is running from another uh, pen, sheep pen. If they go over to our sheep pen, we should bring them back to their, the under-shepherd of Jesus that they came from. Amen. 
right? Because that's who God put them in. And if we would do that as churches, then we would help people to grow up and mature and not make it so easy to go, well, I don't like the way you play, so I'm going to go play over here. I'll preach it. And, uh, and help them to get back to where they came from so they can keep growing and maturing. Amen. Because God didn't call us to be a swapper of aquariums, did he? He called us to be fishers of men. And you know, it, you know, there's a lot of, there, with the anointing on the men of God and women of God, and when you go up to one of those people that are trying to jump from this, this sheep pen to the next one to the next one to the next one, we're not helping the kingdom. I heard somebody say, well, the kingdom didn't lose because they're already in the kingdom. The kingdom lost because God had a purpose for their life in the place he planted them. Amen. And so if we, with the anointing that God has put on our life, look them in the eye and say, have you talked to your pastor about what's going on? No, I haven't talked about it. 99.9% of the time, we're the last one to know. But you know what? I, I, I just almost use the word hate, but I'll use it anyway because I do hate it. But you know what I hate? I hate people to come to me and say this. I'm going to speak for all the pastors because I know they feel the same way. I used to be an evangelist, and I'm kind of slipping back in that mode because I tell them what I thought and leave, and it had to come back. So anyway, <laughs> I, I liked that back then. But uh, now I'm a pastor. i got to keep coming back. So, um, But I don't like people to come to me and say, you know, um, pastor, yes, I haven't seen so-and-so in, uh, in about six weeks. Where are they? I'm like, why are you asking me? You know, why aren't you caring enough to go find out where they are? You know what they're telling me? You know what I hear in my ears? You don't care. You don't care where they're at. You're only caring about you. If you've noticed that they've been gone six weeks and you waited till six weeks to go tell your pastor they're gone, who's in the wrong? Amen. We need to care because Jesus cared enough to go after that one lost one. And you know what? If we would do that, then the enemy, I believe, would lose his power, a division that he tries to bring in the house of God. Because he knows that most of us don't care because, you know what? We see him as a problem. We see him as a pain and the rumpus. We see him as like, well, they should know better. And you know what? A lot of them just don't know better. They just need to be healed. And here's what Paul said that we're to do. We're to go get them and we're to restore them. Now, the word restore means to mend a net or reset a broken bone or a bone out of socket. But the main idea that Paul had is that you would help them to be restored back into a place where they could be used again. See, because when they had mend the net, the net was no good no more because they had a hole in it, and they had to mend it so that it could be used again. And what God wants us to do is to make sure that when we go after that lost one, that we don't just get them back into the house of God, but we get them in and we rejoice and we thank Jesus because he has done a great work and repair them so that now they can get back into the race and in the fight and help us win the loss. And you say, now, how does, you know, what has this got to do with what y'all are doing and the theme that I have here? Well, I learned the hard way that we can get so programmed and so fixated on winning the world around us or our city that we can be putting all of our energy 
and all of our resources to get out there. And the whole time, the people are shriveling up and dying in here. Are y'all with me? We cannot lose our focus. So I believe to be an effective leader, we have to have the desire and a plan to make sure that in the process of winning our city and the world around us, that we're not going to let the people that are in the house die around us, that we'll always be willing to help them to grow. I learned this the hard way because, see, when I went to New Life Church, um, the church original name is Iglesia Batista Nueva Vida. That's the only Spanish I told Pastor Isaac I know. <laughs> Outside of enchiladas, tortillas, and tacos. Okay, so uh, as you could tell, but uh, when I came to this church, I didn't, I didn't want to come to this church. I'll be honest with you. I, I told God about 50 times what I thought he should do. And I was in a, in a church, and things were going good. And we were in the process of moving to another church. And it was like, at that time, in my immaturity and in and, uh, and the faith and as a young pastor, well, you know, you kind of think about, well, if it's a bigger church, it's better. Amen. And uh, you start thinking about the devil's a liar. Amen. God's all true. But, you know, and I'll just be honest with you, and I thought, well, we're going to go. So Didi and I and our girls, we were going through this process. You know how it goes. you got to meet the church, and you got to go preach somewhere, and they got to decide if they want you. And then you go preach at their church, and then they got to decide if they're going to vote for you. And then you have one of their people in the church when that time comes. I remember I was going to the pulpit, and I was going to preach in view of a call at that church, and one of the men came up to me and says, Pastor, I just want you to know, we've never, ever, ever voted 100% for anybody to come in here, so don't get your hopes up too high. Pretty sure I know the way you've already voted. <laughs> Amen. Fire Jesus now. Amen. No, I just, anyway. You think things like this sometimes. It's, we're from Pettis. <laughs> he gets it. So I, I remember, you know, I, we went through all this. And, and, and believe it or not, in the four months of going through all that, we fell in love with the church, and then I wanted to go there. I was thinking, this is a great advancement. This is a great opportunity. I'm a young pastor then. You know, I'm 28 now. I was about 21 then. And you know what? I was looking at this guide, and uh, I happened to notice how young everybody was until I turned to my session. And I saw JR, and I thought, well, he's older than me. And then I watched a podcast of his. And no joke, the very first thing I heard him say on the podcast, I'm 57. I'm like, well, I'm 60. I lost that one. <laughs> That's the first word that came out of his mouth on the podcast. I'm like, okay, God. But uh, anyway, so I was young at that time, and I was thinking, you know, all that. And, and I, I heard, I, I was getting ready to start my sermon, and I heard the Holy Spirit tell me, he said, I'm not going to send you there. And I'm like, let's pray. And so we all prayed. And I'm like, well, I mean, I might as well go home. So anyway, long story short, I preached the message, and I'm thinking, you know, we're not going to get hired. I told Deanie and the girls who got in the car, they was already looking forward to moving. And I said, listen, God already told me we're not coming here. They're going to boat us down. And that's just the way it is. The girls are crying on their way home and this and that and all that. That night, they called me, and they said, Pastor, for the first time in the history of our church, we voted 100% for you to come. We've never, ever voted 100% for a pastor to come. And then uh, I was wishing it was a guy that told me that before I preached about that. But anyway, I thought it again. It just happens. But I, I said, um, well, you know, but I need to tell you that God told me not to come. And then so we go through this long story, and the bottom line is I don't go. 
And then, uh, so about four months later, we're trying to figure out, God, what are you doing? God, what are you doing? God, what are you doing? And then next thing you know, God calls me to um, talk to some people at New Life Church. And I heard all kinds of bad things about it then. We were in our old building then. I knew that they were real fragmented. I knew they'd gone through a lot of troubles. They were without pastor, and they'd bring a pastor in. And, and I don't know what they did with them. I never heard them again. So it really worried me. And... <laughs> So, I have no idea. It's pastor disposable bin somewhere. So, I'm thinking I'm the, you know, and I'm Anglo. It's a Hispanic church, you know, and I'm thinking, this isn't going to work. Because they're all Spanish speaking and this and that. They were bilingual then, and so little did they know. And so, they brought me in, and we talked. And I remember after the meeting, I was driving home, and I was thinking after I heard how much debt they had, they were $270,000 in debt. Back then, that was like, that was 22 and a half years ago. Back then, that was a whole lot of money. That might as well have been a million dollars. And uh, so all of these things, it was, there was maybe 20 or so people in the church. And I'm like, man, I'm not going there, God. <laughs> Ain't not. I'm not going there. And so I'm driving, and I heard the Holy Spirit, but I didn't listen to him. Everybody heard the Holy Spirit and say, I'm playing like I don't hear you. Turn the radio up. It was a pizza. <laughs> Amen. So I heard him, and he said, go back to the church, because we had met at the old K-Bob's. It was over there where Dallas Center is now. Okay, I'm the only old one in the building. And uh, everybody, really? I didn't know that. And so we met over there, and then I remember the Holy Spirit told me, go back to the church. And, and, uh, and I did. I drove back to the church finally. And I got in the parking lot, and the Holy Spirit said, no, I want you to get out of your vehicle and I got out of the vehicle, and he made me walk up or instructed me to walk up to the front doors of the church, and I did. And as soon as I got to the front doors of the church, I fell down on my knees, and I began to weep, and I fell in love with the people that I never met before in my whole entire life, and I have never lost that in my heart. And I went to that church, and I was thinking, they're going to be so excited about me, and they weren't. I had visions of, you know, these great things happening, and it didn't. And I'm like, it goes on forever, so it's like 20 of us, 25 of us, you know. And then, then uh, when you have 25 people and your church split, it's not a good thing. <laughs> Amen? The church split and, you know, and, and this and that. And then the, but what was interesting, the first six weeks that I was there, I heard the Holy Spirit tell me, I'm going to move you north, and then you're going to see 1,500 people come to your church. And I'm like, and... I'm thinking, this is really getting a lot better now. And, but I wouldn't tell anybody because of the condition of our church. But you know, some of the things that the Lord tells you, people can't understand. Because it wasn't for them, it was for you. And if you start trying to give your vision away that God has given you too prematurely, you're going to mess up what God was trying to put in your life. And so because of that, I knew where God had planted me. And then I made a decision right then and there, no matter how tough it gets. And it got tough because, listen, they couldn't pay me. They were so broke. They were so far behind, they thought they were ahead. And I'm going to tell you one thing. They were so broke that they literally, they were paying the janitor a little bit of money, but they said, but we can't pay you. I'm like, well, I want the janitor's job in. <laughs> I'm like, that's easy. <laughs> Praise God. So uh, I told Deanie, I said, well, you know, there's some good and bad in this. I said, the good is we got a church 
the bad is, well, I don't know how we're going to eat. But we're going to trust God. Amen. So we went through a lot there. And why I'm telling you that story is because I need you to understand the things that I'm sharing with you today, it's not because I'm just uh, being able to do all these great things. I'm going to show you my failures, and I'm going to show you how great God is. Because I don't need you to look at me, because I'm going to disappoint you. But God will never disappoint you. And I'm just telling you, straight up, wherever God has put you, stay there until God moves you. And I don't care if you're a church leader or church whatever, pastor or whatever, do not leave until you hear the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. And you say, well, I don't know if he's moving me or not. I can answer it. He's not. Because if he is, you'll know. And anytime the Lord moves somebody, it's a blessing. Anytime the devil moves somebody, it's a burden. And that's the way you can always know. If people are being hurt, it's not the Lord. The only one that will bring hurt is the enemy. Amen. And so we went on for years. And I was thinking, you know, because I had the vision, right? I mean, I heard the vision and I saw the vision and all that. And I was thinking, okay, Lord, I'm going to stay here because I know it's going to get better. But it wasn't getting better. And uh, finally, we got up to about 50 people or so in the church, and we're okay, you know. And Beville at that time especially was very transient. I mean, people would move in, and then they would move out, then move in, and then move out. And I've, we finally adopted the, the idea that, well, we're, we're, this is our ministry. You know, we're, people would come in. Coaches, God bless the coaches, but coaches would come in, but a lot of times they're only here for about a year or two, and then God moves them, right? And same thing, you know, and then their wife is a teacher and they're gone. And it seemed like every time a coach came into town, they came to New Life. I was excited about it at first, but then I, got, I caught on to it. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to get close to you because I know you're going to leave soon. As soon as y'all lose in the season, you're gone. And I get it. I used to pray for the Trojans so my people would stay. So, <laughs> I know. I didn't want that much participation. No. <laughs> so we, we know here we were, and, and, um, and we were decided, okay, we, we, this is where we're at. You know, this is what God's doing. So we try to capitalize on that. And we were doing missions work and this and that. I was sharing some with Pastor Isaac earlier. And then, um, you know, all of a sudden, years down the road, I'm talking about years down the road, uh, I, God just started moving in our church. And he started moving, and he started moving, and we started growing and growing and growing. And then we had to move to a second service and then to a third service in our old building. And then we would, we, I started looking around, and for 18 months I was looking for a building because I didn't want to build a building. And I knew the Holy Spirit said there's a building somewhere. I never did in my wildest imagination did I think it would be at the, what used to be the Word of Life Church. Amen. Some of y'all are original Word of Lifers here. Amen, and I never in a million years would have thought that, but I, I know that Deanie and I drove by that probably no less than a thousand times, and I'd say, we need a building like that. Had no idea that God was going to honor that one day. Had no idea. There's a whole lot to that story. It's for another sermon, another setting. But anyway, we eventually moved, okay, over to that building because we couldn't fit in our old building, and I was thinking, okay, now we can do one service. We got there. We did one service the first Sunday. We had to go to two services by the next Sunday. I'm like, here we go again. And there we were. And then we were on mission for God. And we were going. And we were doing. And we were going. And we were doing. And we were going. And we were doing. 
And the whole time we're going and we're doing, I wish I could tell you we were doing such great things. But the truth of the matter is, is that we were losing our identity the whole time we were doing this. Because our whole focus, because of me, I was focused on trying to do things out in the community. And I just neglected the people that were the ones who helped us to get where we were at at that time. Does anybody hear me today? You have to have a balance. That's all I'm saying. And we have to be willing to go and get those that get hurt along the way and bring them back into the fold. And God wants us to have brokenness over our community. Don't get me wrong. But you know what I did? From 2017, uh, the end of 2017 into 2018, we actually shut down every outreach program we had. And the Holy, we even had a satellite church we had started. And I even shut the campus down. And I brought everybody back. And I said, this year, 2018, we're going to focus on our family. And, you know, it was like going in withdrawals. You start, you know, you start feeling guilty. It's like, you know, people would say, well, y'all aren't going to do anything. I remember when we decided not to do trunk or treat, it was like people would come up to me in H&B, you're not going to do trunk or treat? <laughs> I'm like, well, no. But we didn't do anything. Y'all follow me? And, uh, and I'm not saying that in the bad way. I'm just saying that, that even the, the unchurched world recognized that. And, uh, and the reason is, is because God needed to open my eyes. And it was in that season that I began to do is my second word, pray. And I want to talk to you a little bit about prayer. And this is kind of the main thing that I want to talk about. And then I'll get finished and, and get out of here and let you go to your next thing. First of all, we have to be willing to heal the ones that are in our church. And God, listen, if you're listening, say amen, please. If we're going to go reach the lost world and we're not healing our own that are wounded, what makes us think we're going to be healers to those that are out there? You know who knows that better than you and I? That's right. And he is not going to move. You can move, but he's not going to move because I believe God's looking for a body of Christ that can be like an incubator to a, a baby. That you can bring in somebody into this house and there won't be fighting and strife. There'll be love and unity. There'll be fellowship. There'll be discipleship. There'll be honor and respect towards leaders and one another. And therefore, I can tell you this, that God will move the hearts of the unchurched to come find you. As well as lead you to those that are ready to listen. I'm telling you right now, you need to write that down because I promise you I can save you a lot of heartache. I wish I could tell you. I figured that out on my own, but I, gotta have, I had to have a lot of bruises along the way. I learned a lot of this from Nehemiah in the Bible. And when he saw his city, his people um, in shambles, and he began to pray. And it was in his praying that God opened his eyes to see things that he could not see. And so we have to be a people that not only are willing to go, but we have to be a people that are willing to pray. And now let's talk about, okay, we want to mobilize. We want to go reach the lost. We want to go do that. We got to make sure we got a sanctuary for the hurting. 
But we also got to keep moving out and get those that are out there. Because 2019, whole another year for new life, man. The calendar's full. We're going out, you know, like a cannon. And we know the things that God's telling us to do because he showed us. But I spent the whole year literally in a prayer closet spending hours upon time. That's not to draw attention to me. It's because I needed healing myself. I needed direction. I needed Jesus. I needed the Holy Spirit. I needed him. And it revolutionized my life, and it opened my eyes. As God opened Nehemiah's, God has opened mine. And I learned this about our Lord and about prayer, is that we can spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to grow the church, how to grow the kingdom, and all this stuff. Conferences are wonderful, and they sharpen our sword, and I am so grateful to be here. But you will not get as much out of this as you will by bending your knees and spending time and listening to the master. Do not put anything before prayer. Prayer has to be a priority in our lives. Can I have an amen, church? I learned that, you know, we spent a lot of money in outreach to go and reach the lost. And, and it was my evangelism, my evangelistic gift that I have that really drove me to doing that. Because I, I love going out and cold turkey and preaching and, you know, and all this kind of stuff like that. But... You know, it costs a lot of money, but I learned that praying uh, saves a lot of money. Pastor, I see, amen, he said, hey, got him on that money part, saving that money, right, Pastor? But it's true, you know, that we can go and do all of this, you know, and then yet pray, and there's more that can be done through prayer than every, in all the money in the world. Because the reason why I say that, because I was, we were so broke so long. I mean, my car was so bad back in that day that it was a car that somebody gave to me. It was a Ford Escort. Everybody has ever owned a Ford Escort say, I can understand why I gave it away. And that car, I lived 16 miles from the church, and I walked as many times as I drove to the church. And uh, it was so bad that I had it parked out front, Isaac, one time, and our youth group came out there. I didn't know it, but while I was in church doing my thing, I came out, and it was all decorated with flowers and everything. It was all over the church, and there was a note on it, and they named it the Pastor's Disaster. <laughs> I mean, we didn't have the money to do outreach. We didn't have the things, and I didn't know that when God started moving because of our desperation, we were crying out to God that God showed up. But then we started going because the resources started coming in. And I thought the power was in the resources that we had. And the power is in Jesus through your prayer life. Are y'all following me? If you want to be an effective leader, if you want to win your city, it starts in the place of prayer. Prayer doesn't cost you any money. It will cost you your time, though. And the enemy is going to whisper in your ear and saying, you're wasting your time. You should be having this meeting. You should be going to this place. You should be studying. You should be all these things. And all of those are important. But trust me, if you pray more than you do those things, you'll have the power to accomplish the things that you want to do in your life. You will have the wisdom to do the things in your life. I wrote down in my notes that to, to do before you pray and if that's the way you live your life, then you're only going to see what you can do. But if you pray before you do, you will see what God can do. How many wants to see what God can do? Amen. There's power in prayer. And the enemy wants to play prayer down. Listen, I'm going to tell you how little churches honestly are praying. Can I preach for a moment, guys? Can I be honest with you? I don't have to come back. So, you know, but I got to tell you this. 
is that most of us as churches are doing good at gathering and worshiping and hearing a message and then going to the Dairy Queen or wherever you go and going home. And that's all great and that's wonderful and I love it and we do it too. But how much are we actually praying as a body of Christ? We need revival in Beville. We need Kingsway praying. The Kingsway needs new life praying. We need to, listen, we need to come together. What would happen if we had a leadership meeting and we said, today we're going to come in and pray. I wonder how many would be excited. Five minutes, you're like, are we done? Amen. There's no power if there's no prayer. I could give you a lot of things, but I could tell you right now, the best thing I can give you is the idea that if you want to see your life change, pray. If you want to see your church change, pray. If you want to see a person pr uh, change, pray for them. And you say, well, God would, you know, God would, he really change a person's life? Would he really change your heart? Would he, would, listen, if they're not needed to ch be changed and you're the ones that need to be changed, he'll change you. And, uh, and, uh, and usually that's the way it is. And or he can change their heart. It, listen, the Bible says that prayer is so powerful that a prayer that is prayed in faith will move a mountain. And I believe if God can move a mountain, he certainly can move a heart. Amen. James says the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Amen. And so an effective leader has to have a prayer life. And I really feel that's the message that God brought to me to give to you today. And uh, I'm going to ask you, how much do you honestly, don't raise hands, obviously, but how much do you honestly spend time in prayer? I know some of you do, and some of you understand it, but I'm not trying to convict you because that's not my job, that's the Holy Spirit's. But it is my job to be a messenger of what God put in my heart. And God's asking me to ask you, how much are you honestly praying for your ministry? You know, well, they won't show up on time, and they don't care, and they don't do that. Pray. Well, I don't like way pastorizing. Pray. They've never said that because they love you. Amen. And you're from Pettis. So. You're privileged child of God. Pettis. So we need to pray and believe God that there's power in prayer. Jesus believed it. And if Jesus believed it, how much more should we believe it? Because as busy as Jesus was, he always went and found a place to pray. And listen, every big move of God in the Bible always came on the heels of one or more people praying. If we really want to see Beville change then what we need to do is pray. And what we need to do is quit competing with each other as churches and come together as the body of Christ. And besides that, if we're all worried about one of our sheep straying over to the other one, it's just really a sign of incompetence on your part. And remember that Pastor Isaac said today, they're not your sheep anyway. Amen. They're Jesus's. Praise God. Amen. So... You know, I want to ask you is uh, to think about, do I pray? There, there was a friend of mine. He's a pastor. He's passed away now. And uh, he lived down south 
and he was, he was a pastor in a pretty good-sized church. And I remember I went to go visit him because we were going to start a child care in our church. I'm just telling you, you really need to pray about that first. <laughs> and uh, my room was right next door to the toddler room, my office at the old church. And I had pictures on my wall, and it would get so uh, rowdy in there that they would bounce on the wall. And I could hear the little crying and stuff. And it was so much that people would come into my office. I got so used to it. They'd say, is everything Okay. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I was so used to hearing it, right? But this guy had a child care, and uh, so I was looking at his facility, and after we looked at it all, and I didn't know it was a divine appointment at the moment, and then I remember going to his office, and then all of a sudden he started tearing up, you know, and, and he says, can I talk to you? And I said, sure, you know, and anytime a pastor's crying, they say, can you talk to you? You know, it's serious business. And I said, what's wrong, brother? And he goes, you know, it's just things aren't going right, and he started spilling it out, you know, and this and that. And then the Holy Spirit spoke to me while he was talking. He says, it's because he doesn't talk to me. And he says, ask him why he doesn't talk to me. And I'm like, Jesus. Can you get somebody else? <laughs> and uh, so he went on and I finally got the courage and uh, I'm a piece of work, I'm telling you. And I finally got the courage, and then, and I finally said, um, "Brother, do you pray?" And he started crying. And then the whole long story short is, is that he says, "Pastor, I can't even tell you when the last time was that I actually spent quality time with God in prayer." And I'm like, "Well, where are your messages coming from?" I'm thinking in my mind, you know. And and uh, so I'm assuming the internet. <laughs> I don't know, but. So I'm like, so you don't pray? And he goes, I have quit praying. I got so involved with my church and doing ministry that I really very rarely honestly spend time. Not that he didn't pray, but not quality time with prayer. I'm talking journaling type prayer, you know. Writing down what you hear God say. Spending time with him long enough to hear him. Most of the time we think it's like going to McDonald's, you know. And... uh I believe that God is calling his church now to be a people that will be willing to give God our time and to listen for his voice and to do nothing until we hear him speak. And when he speaks, to do it with everything we have and knowing that if God called us to it, he will see us through it. Amen. Amen. And so the guy that uh, didn't pray, I prayed with him, and I said, you know, brother, you can repent, and da 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 and I went through all that. And, you know, not only did his ministry dry, die, but he died. And I'm not, I'm not saying that God killed him, but I'm saying that he left the door open for the enemy to come in, and he literally got cancer, and he died within a matter of a few months after I saw him. And I feel like in my heart that he didn't even know how to fight and fend for his own self. Because he had got out of the habit of standing in the gap, not only for his people, but his family, his ministry, and everything else. And the enemy, I believe, took him out. Now, I'm not giving you a scare tactic. What I'm saying is, because that's the thing the Holy Spirit just put in my heart. But what I'm telling you is that whatever you're, you're over, if you are not going to pray, it will die. It will die. Your church, your ministry your family, your love for Jesus, everything is contingent 
upon prayer. Prayer is our lifeline. It is the gift of God and is our communication with him. And if we're unwilling to pray, we will not only have that absence of power in our life, but we won't have vision. We won't have understanding. We won't know where to go. We won't know what to do. And then we're going to revert back to our own power and the ways of the world, and we're trying to manipulate people to get in the kingdom of God, and it's just not going to work. Amen. And then uh, on the other side of that, we can kind of be like Martha and Mary. And you know the story where Martha and Mary was um, there and Jesus came to see them. I'm old school. I don't carry iPads. And, uh, you know, Martha was doing and she was so frustrated. And they said that Martha was distracted by doing many things. And Mary... Martha was frustrated with her because she was sitting at the feet of Jesus and worshiping him. And Martha was so angry, I think she was slamming cabinet doors, you know. Because, you know, that's what we do when we're mad and we need to get somebody's attention. And she, I could just picture her with flour all over her face, you know, doing all this stuff for Jesus and everything. And Mary's in there, kumbaya, my Lord, you know, and all that. And she said, you know, Jesus, don't you even care? And Jesus, I don't, I'm going to hurry. And Jesus came to her and said, listen, you're distracted by many things, but Mary has chosen the good portion, and it's not going to be taken away from her. That was Jesus' way of saying to Martha, get over it. And then I, I had wrote down here, and this is what the Holy Spirit told me. He says, it's not how much that you do that matters to Jesus is how much he does through you that matters to Jesus. And listen, if we could ever get that put in the proper perspective, then we could learn that Jesus isn't wanting you just to go do things at random. He's wanting you to do the things that he's called you to because it's that moment in your life that you're going to see the fruit that you've been hoping for. You know, I, I used to spend a lot of my time. Can I spend like five more minutes and I promise you I'm done? That means 15 minutes and it's pastorally. <laughs> I, I saw an old man one time. He, he preached and he took his watch off like this. It took him a long time. He was about 85 or 90 years old. He took it off and he looked at it and he put it on the podium. And I'm thinking, this is going to be a long session. <laughs> he finally got it on there. And he looked at us and he says, you know what it means when a preacher does this? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Amen. I really will do it in five minutes, so I'm just kidding you. Uh, but I, I need to tell you this because I want to wrap this up. But here, here's what I need you to understand. I used to spend a lot of time watching other people doing things instead of watching what he was doing. Does anybody relate to that? We, we get so fixated in saying, you know, especially when I was their brother in the church, you know, we were like 40 people and then 50 people. And I'm like, all of my brother pastors, you know, the churches are growing and this and that. I'm like, God, God, is this hell? You know, and, uh, <laughs> and I'm like, what did I do wrong? I never forget. And, uh, and everybody, you know, my, bro my brothers were saying, you need to come up here, man. This is where God's moving. And I'm like, believing them. What are y'all doing? And they tell me, you know, and I go try, and it was just 
I would just give up before I'd even tell people because it sounded so stupid. Because I know this is not God. And I used to get all caught into that thing, you know, and it's like, well, you know, maybe what I need to do is comb my hair like Jonathan's. I had hair then. Jonathan's, you know, or I need to, I need to do this or I, I need to do that. Anybody ever been there? I got caught in that at one time in my ministry. And I'm going to tell you the second most powerful thing I can tell you today is besides pray is that what you need to do as I am learning in my life and what God has taught me is to run my own race. Run the race that God has put before you because that's what you're going to be good at. Because, see, you know, a lot of people, they're saying, why ain't God blessing me? You know, and I've had people come to me and tell me that all the time. And I want to tell you that a lot of times that I think people aren't getting blessed by God because God don't know who you are. Because you're trying to act like somebody else. He's like, I don't know who to bless because I don't even know who you are. Because we're too busy trying to be somebody else instead of being the people that God has made us to be. You're never better than when you're being you. You have a special anointing that God has put on your life to do things in a special way. And see, we always think somebody else does it better, so we're looking for somebody else to show us how to do it when God has already given you what you already need to do what he's called you to do. Come on, somebody. And so we need to start relaxing in our anointing and letting our anointing be released from our life and then let fruit be produced as God would see it produced in our life. I know it's hard and I know it's easy, but you know, God has called our church to do a certain work a certain way. He's called Kingsway Church to do it a certain work a certain way, though we're all working for the same goal and we can learn from each other, we can share with each other, we can fellowship with each other. I long for the day where we can, you know, share a Sunday evening service with one service and then another church the other, and like we used to do back in the day, and everybody was all happy campers, ate pie and pudding, jello, and everything else afterwards. And we could get back into that place where we're working together. And knowing that, hey, you know, if God has called you as a church to go do a certain work, then we should cheer you on, pray for you, and say, yes, God, yes, God, yes. And bless them, Lord, as they go out in their anointing. And then we go out and we run our race in our anointing and be who we are and who God has called us to be. So I learned to be me. And, you know, it's kind of comforting to be me. And... uh I, I learned that you can relax in being you and preach in your style and minister in your style and love in your style. And you'd be amazed at the great things that God will begin to do in your life. Everybody say, run your own race. And that's what God's will for our life is. And to be an effective leader, we're going to have to pray and be willing to run our own race. But you're going to have to know what your race is. You're going to have to know what race he's called you to. Some people say, I know what race I am. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about running your race. <laughs> Amen, praise God. And run that race and be fueled up by the power of the Holy Spirit. And last, you're going to have to love. Because, see, all of that means nothing if we don't love. If we don't love the ones that God has put in our life, if we don't love our pastors, if we don't love our brothers and sisters, 
And I'm not talking about love. Some people come in the church, and you know what, Isaac. They come in there, and they look like they ate about two pickles before they got here. <laughs> Somebody sat in their place. By God. I put a committee together. You know what a camel is, right? It's a horse put together by a committee. Anyway, so... You know, we, we need to learn to love. To love means to be graceful. To love means yes to do is action. But to love means to just share the grace and the fellowship. And when people come in, welcome them in the house of God. And if people leave and they decide to come back, then don't go and make it hard for them to come back. Let them come back. And love them into wholeness and, and, and fellowship with them and encourage them. Amen. Because people are going to fall, you know. People are, are, I mean, they are. There's people going to mess up and stuff. And I shared with our church the other day. Years ago, I remember there was a guy that came to our church. And he was a, the C&E crowd. Christmas and Easter. And I would just like, hey, you know. And he came. It was not a Christmas or Easter event. He was there. And it was like, you know, a lot of people were like, oh, my God, I can't believe you're here. <laughs> or like, you know, let me give you a connection card so we can see who you are, a visitor's card. We call them connection cards. You know, and all that kind of stuff. And that's not loving. In fact, it hurts your heart. And, you know, that person came to church because they probably were hoping against hope that Jesus would accept them in. And then when the body of Christ acts like that, then why would that person ever want to come in? You know, I wasn't raised in church. My wife was, but I wasn't raised in church. And, uh, and the experience I had with church is uh, they actually made me feel unwelcome. I had long hair then. Use your imagination. <laughs> had a little reputation. Wasn't good. And... Uh, would go to church, and I'd hear things like, well, I guess they don't know where the barbershop is, you know. This, I had to go through a, like an a army of men to be able to have that, you know, and all that. And I'm like, I don't need that. I don't need that. And, you know, this guy came to the church, and, and I didn't even think about it. I was coming from uh, my office, and I was going down the hallway. I was heading, my, heading, my, heading away, my way, making my way down to the worship center, and I saw him come in with the little family, and I said, hey, brother, and I went and got him, and big old bear hug, you know, and everything. Wasn't even thinking of it, and then led him down and went on back into the worship center and had worship and then preached and, and all of that, and it wasn't until years later, because he comes to church now, and it wasn't until years later he told me, he says, you know what? You know what got me in the church? You know what got me going? He says, whenever, every time, he says, in that time that I would come, he says, you would welcome me as if I never left. You think they don't watch that? You think they don't know? You think they don't understand? And that we wouldn't show that love? God loves the world, and he wants us to love them with his heart. Amen? All right, let's give God praise and glory. Amen? I have some more things to say, but I need to get out of this thing. So, Father God, right now, I just pray that, Lord, that you would uh, help us all as, as we're all desiring to be leaders of your church, God. It's a humbling task and a humbling calling, and we don't take it lightly. But, God, that we would be a people that would be willing to go, not only to the lost world, but that we would go to our own. That we wouldn't see them as, um, you know, as a problem or 
it's, it's not that important. It's like their fault. But God, that we would have a, a search and rescue team that would, we would always be mindful of the ones that aren't here. If they're not here, it's hard sometimes as we've learned that as we grow, that it's hard to keep tabs on everybody. But God, there's always somebody that knows and that we would be willing to go and then pray, Lord, that we would be willing to pray and pay the price, be willing to believe that, God, our prayers are penetrating through hard hearts and penetrating through fortresses that the enemy has set up against us and that we would believe that while we pray that we have the favor of God and the angel army of God working in our behalf. That God, that when we would pray, that God, that we would believe, that God, that there is no stronghold so, so set up and fortified by the enemy that you can't demolish it through one person praying. That we would pray as we would believe and believe as we would pray. And God, that we would see revival in this city. Lord, let us see revival. Let us see it in our time, God. Let us see lives change. Let us see the people of God remembering that it's not about programs. The enemy don't care how many programs we have. They don't care how many times we gather as a people. But what he cares about is if we pray. Because he knows when my people pray that great things are about to come to pass. And that we would love with your heart, God. That we would love the way we want to be loved. That, Lord, not only would we have passion and compassion for that world out there in Beeville, God. I've heard so many people, Lord Jesus, curse this town so much that, God, it breaks my heart. Ah, you know, there's no place to eat here. Well, God, we pray for a Luby's. Amen, baby. Praise God. Lord, people say, well, you know, the drugs are this and they're that and, you know, well, you know. And this, all this negative stuff, instead of truly, truly being like Nehemiah that prayed and had his eyes open, and he went to the city, and he walked around, and he saw the condition of the city, and he was broken, broken. And he prayed to you, Father, and you spoke to him, and you gave him a mission. And he was just a man, but it wasn't the man that rebuilt the city. It was the God behind the men that motivated and moved him and gave him vision and used him to do great and mighty things and restored the walls. I believe that, God, there's people in this room that desire that. But, Lord, may it be known today that without prayer, there would be no rebuilding of walls, our cities, our lives, or anything to the magnitude that we would desire. Because, God, anything that we do be before prayer would only be out of the works that we can do out of our own intellect. But, God, this city needs God. It needs your hand. It needs your work. It needs your healing. It needs restoring, repairing, and mending. And Lord, I pray for the churches in this town. I thank God for Kingsway Church that's willing to step out of the box and say, we're not intimidated. We're going to do the work of the Lord. I thank you, God, that there's somebody here in this city that says it's not about me. It's not about us. It's about you, God. That there is power in number and that we're all on the same team. We're on the same side. We're working for the same goal. 
not to build our kingdom, but to build your own. And thank you, Father, for unity. And I pray that many more churches, when something like this happens in town, that you would stir the hearts of your pastors that you've appointed, the stars, the lights that you planted in the churches, that they would get beyond themselves. And that, God, they would see that I have been called to a work to feed the sheep. And that, Lord, if there's a trough that we can take the people of God to, to drink and eat, because you have set that before us, then we should shepherd our people where they could drink and eat and love one another. In Jesus' name, amen.